Hi, everyone. It's autumn, the time for harvest festivals and family reunions. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you are 50 or older, you are at even greater risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. So get an updated vaccine now. If you need more information, talk to your doctor. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Americans. We're so glad that you're here. I'm Jerry Wan, your host, and joined here by Patrick Armstrong, our editor and producer on the show. And today we are really, really excited to share uh, one of our unique episodes where we have more than one guest. And today we are joined by three amazing friends from the consulting firm McKinsey & Company, Michael Chui, Quellen Ellingrud, and Jackie Wong, three out of four members, uh, the fourth being Ishana Rambachan, uh, who are the authors of a new study called Asian American Workers, Diverse Outcomes and Hidden Challenges, where we talk about what it actually means to be Asian in America, the statistics, the disaggregated data that we love to look at, and, and how does that affect us when we show up to the workplace? Uh, Patrick, what did you think about our conversation with our friends at McKinsey? Well, like yourself, Jerry, I am a big fan of data. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, I believe it was Jackie, but it might have been Michael who brought this up, was uh, talking about the importance of disaggregate, uh, disaggregated data and also how even in this new report that you guys talked about on this episode, there is still a ways to go to truly find that disaggregated data piece, specifically like when it comes to gender, I think was the specific example that they brought up. So I thought that was really interesting because I think it shows that not only are we doing the work or people doing the work to try and find a way to represent the diversity in Asian America and the Asian American diaspora, but specifically recognizing the challenges that we still have and being willing to be accountable to that and talking about, hey, we're trying to make sure that we can go that next mile in order to make sure that we are finding and showing and and producing uh, as much diverse information as we possibly can in order to help ourselves and our community move forward. So I thought that was the one piece that really stuck out to me. But overall, this entire conversation is really, really insightful. Yeah, for me, two things stuck out. One is something that we talked about with uh, Jackie on the show, is this uh, notion that Asians are not diverse or diverse candidates or do not belong into the American conversation on corporate DEI. And as somebody who has experienced that firsthand, being questioned why I was physically present in a corporate recruiting event designed for diverse candidates and continually having to feel like I have to fight for our inclusion, even in the diverse space, I, I think that is something that is really fascinating to continue to study. And then two, uh, in the spirit of disaggregated data, something that we don't often talk about is the distinction between Asian Americans who are born here or even not born here uh, who identify as American versus our friends who are either studying here, working here on visas, consider themselves expats versus immigrants or somebody who does not necessarily consider themselves American and how that self-identity plays a role in the way that we want to be treated, don't want to be treated or expect to be treated in corporate America and beyond. And so Really excited to share the, the full-length conversation of this uh, conversation about the study. We're going to link the uh, study in the show notes, um, nice and visible. So we encourage you to spend a few minutes today as you are listening to this. And we also want to shout out a big thank you 
uh, to Elaine Deng, who was on the initial McKinsey episode from 2020. Uh, our original friends, Sammy Huang and Harrison Lung, who were a part of that conversation, and Margaret Ann from the McKinsey comms team who made this interview possible. So without further ado, here's my conversations with Michael, Quellen, and Jackie. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Dear Asian Americans. I am so excited uh, to do, this is our, our second rendition of this format that we are doing with our friends from McKinsey. And uh, just last week on September 8th, they released a brand new study called Asian American Workers, Diverse Outcomes and Hidden Challenges. And uh, nothing gets me more excited, and I don't mean that facetiously, than studying our community, particularly from the lens of data disaggregation. Obviously, our show is called Dear Asian Americans, and one of our jobs and one of our tasks is to help tell a diverse narrative of the Asian American narrative and the story that goes far beyond what we are typically taught either in school or in media or by ourselves. And so today I am so excited. I am joined by three amazing folks, our friends from McKinsey who have worked on this uh, report and also do so much work behind the scenes to help elevate and amplify the diverse array of Asian American voices. And so today we are joined by Jackie Wong, who is an engagement manager in the Philadelphia office, Dr. Michael Chui, who is a partner, part of the McKinsey Global Institute, and by Quellen Ellingrud, also part of the McKinsey Global Institute. And so uh, today we're actually recording from all over the world and coming together to help share a little bit about our friends here, but also learning about how the report came about, what we also learned in doing the research report, and what we hope to have the impact of this report um, as it circulates and as it makes its way through classrooms, boardrooms, and beyond. And so we'll start with Jackie. Um, Jackie, tell us a little bit about you and particularly from the lens of your identity, uh, how you grew up, and uh, what landed you working on this particular report here at McKinsey. Sure. Thanks for having us. Uh, I am a first-generation immigrant, so um, born in Hong Kong, uh, immigrated to the U.S. when I was about nine years old, and then grew up in L.A., where a lot of um, Chinese folks end up growing, growing up. And, you know, a, a lot of what I've been doing at McKinsey has been um, in in the, the the lens of research for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what led me to this report was actually working on uh, a race in the workplace report last year, uh, which was about Black workers in the, the U.S. private sector, and realizing that you know I've 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 now worked on this report about Black workers probably makes sense for me to work on a report about Asian workers as well in the U.S. So, um, you know, uh, talked about it with, with a couple of folks, including Michael, and, 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 you know, got it underway. So it's been an interesting journey for me um, as, you know, someone who has gone through a lot of the stuff that is in this report and, and actually realizing um, that there, there, there's a lot more nuance to my own journey uh, both as you know, as an architect, which I used to be, and now as a consultant, um, on on you know just how how it's been to to move in uh, in the education and then the corporate world as as an Asian person. That was going to be my next question, Jackie. You, when we look at your resume, it's fascinating because you got your economics degree from Stanford, then went to Penn to study architecture, then you did architecture at a law firm, which I think. You know, checks uh, at a, not at a law firm. Um, at, a, at a regular architecture firm. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry, I read the LLP wrong. Um, so you went to do architecture at an architecture firm and then going to business school and then pivoting into consulting. 
those are a lot of traditional, not only organizations, institutions, but industries where, you know, sometimes we may fall into the stereotype of, you know, somebody who is good at studying, get good grades and, you know, in an architecture type of environment, the stereotype probably not true, but is that you just put your head down and you create this thing and the words leadership or being loud or, you know, all these things are not things that people think of. And for what it's worth, and, you know, happy to go down this vertical too, but things maybe our parents encouraged us to do because those were things that had a more direct path to do ABC, which is study, go to good schools, get a good job, and then the outcomes are somewhat, you know, uh, expected. And in here, we're talking about, you know, sort of in this amorphous, less structured state of business in general, studying how we feel about ourselves, how we feel supported in the workplace, looking at empirical data to say, hey, is what we are feeling actually true? Do we get promoted less or equal to or more than our peers? Do we get supported? Um, and, and how do we tell the narrative of this Asian American diaspora, which is really, really fascinating, but also something that most people don't know about? And so how did you navigate your career from going into studying economics, then architecture, and then, you know, as we all do, when we need a big career change in our lives, we all go to business school and saying, hey, let me figure this out two years later. And then, you know, you've had quite a run at McKinsey since then. Uh, tell us about sort of how that, you know, uh, manifested for you. I mean, you've kind of told told the general version of my story, <laughs> which is I didn't know what I was doing, and then I got into something, and then I wanted to get something, get into something else. Uh, no, I mean, I, I was I was that college kid who didn't really know where to go, and um, frankly, if I think about my Asian upbringing, right, um, uh, my parents, a lot of as as many Asian children get, uh, you know, it's. it's good grades you know if you get if you if you get lower than a 95 you you got yelled at you know like that kind of stuff um and uh and so i was always kind of like an all-arounder you know like i did well in, in all subjects i didn't really love any particular subject and that was, that carried over to college and um and i ended up actually taking a drawing class because and this is not any sort of exaggeration in second grade i got a B minus on it uh, in art, and it stuck with me for many years because I thought I was not good at art. And so in college, I was like, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, do do some stuff and 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 explore." And so I took that drawing class, and I was like, "Well, no, I'm actually kind of good at art too." And so that catalyzed my journey into architecture. And I was a designer more than I was an engineer. Um, so so in a lot of ways, a, a little bit different than what your you know Asian American folks are, are are known to be right I was kind of the more the creative than than the like the numbers cruncher um and so you know to your point about advancement I remember one of the leaders at my architecture firm um saying to me and not in any sort of malicious way at all but you know kind of making the observation maybe I don't know but there was certainly underlying implicit bias in that uh, of saying like Oh, uh, you know, you're moving up in this firm really quickly a lot because you speak up a lot, and and I don't see that a lot with with your other colleagues, and you know, didn't mention any sort of race or anything like that. But I, you know, I you can hear the undertones of it. And when I actually got to um, you know a, a very kind of pivotal promotion at that firm, uh, 
I literally had other Asian colleagues of mine who were kind of more junior architects come up to me and say, wow, you can do it. And I'm like, can do what? And like, it, it, it didn't occur to me until years later of reflecting back to that moment being like, oh, it's because I was literally the only Asian designer who was at that level. And there were no other Asian designers who were above my level, right? And and that was so much of what we talk about in this report. Every single interview that we did was so much about like, I don't see myself in leadership. I, you know, I don't, I don't feel supported after a certain level, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that manifested itself there. Um, I ultimately left architecture, not because of, you know, a lack of advancement for me. It was because I severely burned out of architecture because, that's a whole different story about what that field is all about. But, um, you know, I had a, I had a, I had a great seven years and I retired and I, I feel good about it. Awesome. And, uh, perhaps for another episode, when we have you back, Jackie, but you have a thriving uh, podcast about ice skating. You were once a, a professional ice skater and you got second place in a Jeopardy episode. <laughs> And most importantly, how I know all this is because you are one of the few guests that we've had that has his own Wikipedia page. And so shout out to people who are uh, badass enough to have their own Wikipedia pages. I, I, I say that not in jest, but I think it's super cool, man. I, I think it's when we talk about representation, right? When we talk about um, and I've been thinking about this a lot because like, I watch a ton of sports, right? Like, And I think it's not good enough. I think it's level one level to have those who look like us compete. But there are two groups within the sports broadcasting and the sports analysis world that I think needs more change than anything, which are broadcasters and referees. As long as those folks are not diverse and does not reflect those on the field, we're never going to get their story out in the way that should, right? And so this is a little bit of a tangent, but when Serena won her second to last match of the U.S. Open, the person who was asking the question was terrible made her feel very, you know, like she didn't belong there. And a lot of the commentators were saying, like, why would you ask her that? Like, she is literally the greatest player in the world. And, and, and you know, I don't, and I think it's because it was a lack of understanding of what Serena meant to other girls who looked like her, and it didn't really matter how she played that day. And in any case, I, I love the fact that you're doing that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not smart enough to go on Jeopardy myself, but uh, I think it's cool. So thanks for sharing your story, man. I think it's also really, really important for us to put this context, not just from a consulting context, not just from, you know, a traditional business context to help people understand that some of the things that we feel and some of the things that we study are actually prevalent in all industries and more so than others. Um, obviously, the diversity of different industries uh, does play a role. Um, Quellen, welcome to the show. Um, you, you lead the insurance practice at McKinsey. Uh, senior partner and director of the McKinsey Global Institute. Tell us about your background, how you found your way to the world of consulting and and why you feel particularly passionate about doing work within the gender and uh, racial equity space. Absolutely. I grew up in some ways very traditionally uh, in a traditional Chinese family with a lot of aunties and uncles living in our same household with very, I would say, traditional values of work hard, modesty, never kind of speak too much of uh, what you can do and obey your elders and above all, you know, be polite and, and thoughtful of others. In other ways, though, I grew up in a very non-traditional way. So at the age of 13, I started to live abroad and go to local schools and live with local families. 
I lived for almost three years in China um, and went to a local school there. I lived for a year in Japan. So I saw parts of Asia with very different cultures um, up close and, and in close relationships with local families there. And that changed how I thought about things. And then as I was going through school, I was looking around and as an Asian American woman, I didn't see uh, that many people in work leadership positions. I saw a lot of Asian American women in particular excelling academically and a lot of Asian American men. But then when I looked outside at the workforce, I just didn't see them progressing, uh, whether it was in architecture, as Jackie was describing, or in the business world in particular, which I was more interested in. And so I was more interested in, you know, how how do we put all of this together? You know, we have Asians and Asian Americans excelling so much in the academic sphere and then completely dropping out as we are dropping off in terms of representation in the middle and more senior levels of the talent pipeline. So that really sparked my interest, both generally for Asian Americans, but in particular for Asian American women, who I think have even lower levels of representation at senior levels. So that's how I came to this. And I love the fact that you do so much work outside of your day job in the community space, in in you know sitting on board and really helping move the needle on these. And I, you know, that's another part of the conversation that I think when it comes to talking about Asian American professionals that we don't often have. Just like we were really taught to uh, growing up, only do extracurriculars as it helps you get to the next level and only strategically do the ones with fancy titles that will look good on a college resume. And those were things that our parents taught us because the education system that they grew up in was so different than the ones that we had to navigate. And I think many of us take that same mindset as we navigate, you know, whether it's leadership or any just sort of progression in a professional workspace. If your organization rewards additional you know, volunteer work or leadership, people do that so that they get better performance reviews. And it is, you know, I would really love to see more of us volunteering, stepping up into board roles, and not even just inside the professional workplace, but if you're a parent, you know, showing up to the PTA stuff, you know, leading fundraisers for whatever cause or coaching your sports teams. Because I think when we talk about how people see us, it is really important that all of us, including children, people who get to work in certain jobs and other people who want to see us in these roles of leadership and of influence and of real influence and power that I think we didn't really see growing up. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, you know, I grew up in Southern California around the same time that Jackie did. And, you know, I didn't have Asian American little league coaches or NJB basketball coaches in my mind. Those are all tall white guy things, right? Because, you know, Asian dads, either because they were the types of jobs that they were working or the lack of familiarity with these things, they weren't there. And when we went to PTA stuff, when we went to Boy Scout stuff, we didn't see dads that look like us. And now, a generation later, we have the privilege and the ability and the time to do those things. And so um, share with us a little bit about how you got involved and how you continue to stay involved in out-of-work things. And in addition to the very busy schedule that you have with your day job, um, how do you make the time and why do you make the time? Yeah, I think this is such a marathon when you think about an entire career, right, spanning decades. And instead of what just helps me, I think I've focused more on what gives me energy and what's going to sustain me, keep me excited, keep me engaged over the long term. Um, and as you said, Jerry, both being visible for the sake of others and for ourselves and making our voices heard, I think is so important in our communities. I also think we could do a better job of networking, helping others get connected to opportunities, helping just get connected to each other. Um, I think 
as a group, Asian and Asian Americans could kind of network, connect to opportunities much more deeply and systematically than we do today. Excellent. Thank you. And rounding out our panel is Michael Chui, a partner in the uh, at the firm, also part of the McKinsey Global Institute. Um, you took a different path into consulting, which you went all the way, uh, you know, up the academic chain, got your PhD in uh, computer science, and then decided to, you know, use that gift and uh, help companies make better decisions. How did you, and, and I would assume, obviously, you, uh, as we all do, love and care about data and, and how data can help inform our, our stories. And tell us about your journey into leading the um, affinity group at McKinsey, Asians at McKinsey, and, and, and helping using our, uh, you know, I'll bucket it into privilege, but our education, our access, our networks, and the ability for us to create something like this, and, and your journey through your career, how you, uh, you know, came to this place. Well, it was all very carefully planned. No, I'm joking. People who know me know that's a total lie. I, you know, I, I've I've been I've been fortunate in life. Uh, my my folks are are immigrants from Hong Kong. Um, I was born in Philly. I grew up in Canada near Toronto. So I'm sort of a Chinese Canadian American or American Canadian or something like that. Um, and as you said, uh, I I did end up getting a PhD. Um, my parents are physicians, so again, my in community joke is that my rebellion was I'm not going to become a medical doctor. I'll get another doctorate instead. But but you know, I, I I ended up in consulting partly because you know my 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 dad just recently retired as a professor. As I I realized that. Um, the parts about his life that that seemed most attractive were after he got tenure, and being junior faculty seems is harder. And so, because I have a lot of interests, consulting seemed interesting to me. But truthfully, in terms of my involvement on Asian American issues, that came later in life. I think um, you know, unlike the inspiring stories that Jack and Quillen had, um, you know, a, a, a former colleague of ours that you've had on the podcast, Emily, you know, she has said, look. My game was assimilation, and I, when she said that, I was like, "Oh yeah, that that's me too." And um, you know, that's—I wouldn't say that's how I got ahead, but that was how I tried to fit in. Um, I grew up in a very white community, and so I've 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 had that. As I've grown grown older, as I've talked with more people, as I've advanced, I've heard people say the kinds of things that you just heard my colleagues say, which is. In fact, more junior people saying, you're an inspiration because you're one of the few. And I'm like, wait, wait, slow down. I, I, <laughs> I don't feel like an inspiration to anybody. But it turns out that I am. And when I realized that and I was trying to support folks, um, I literally was asked, can you take on this thing? And so I learned more. And as, as Jackie did, too, you know, I, I was also involved in some of the work as we were you know, supporting some of our black colleagues in the black community, you know, post George Floyd and, and our, some of our Hispanic Latino community as well. And, and obviously I'm, I identify as Asian. And so it was, um, you know, I felt that, uh, as, as, um, you know, something as a responsibility of the, as, as Jerry, as you said, as the privileges that I've been able to enjoy. So it's, it's been, um, it's been late in coming, but, um, better late than ever. No, I, I you know, I, I think, one, I, I don't think you should say, you know, things like better late than never, because I think what we fail to understand, those of us um, coming up now, and even more so for the students who are about to enter the workforce, is there's never been a better time to show up as yourself in the workplace. And I think sometimes the younger folks forget that assimilation wasn't the, you know, neglect of identity. It was a necessary survival tactic, just as our parents told us to almost expect racism in this country and to turn the other cheek and not to rock the boat. 
because those were survival tactics, not that they didn't care enough. And so there's this really interesting nuance that's happening in certain conversations where it's like, man, like, you know, how could you not? You're only talking about race because you're a senior partner and now you can say it. And why not 20 years ago? And and perhaps, you know, you can share with us some of the insights, Michael, like you couldn't talk about it 20 years ago. Right. And there, it wasn't safe to do so. And I think we have to uh, acknowledge and appreciate all the work that the collective generation has done, aided by other folks, aided by social events and policies and politics so that we can even have this thing. Right. Like, I mean, you've been at McKinsey 20 years, like. Could you have imagined McKinsey working on an actual investing in an actual study that studied us and then saying, hey, why don't y'all go on an Asian American podcast? And then, you know, here. And again, I just want to let the folks know, like, we're not going on a script here, right? Like there was trust and there was belief that we want to get the authentic stories out there. So the firm assisted in scheduling this, but it wasn't like, here's the things that you say, here's the things that you don't say, which is a tremendous, you know, at least for me, such an amazing thing that they're supporting our community and saying, study it. There's no agenda. Let's get it out and see how we can help other people. Um, Michael, share with us sort of what you see that's for you experiencing how you came up in the firm and then sort of how the opportunities that we have now to show up ourselves and to even have conversations like this. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, our society continues to evolve and develop and, you know, our, our firm is, uh, first of all, it's a global firm. So there, you know, things are, are uh, uh, you know it, it it reflects all of the local uh, communities in, in in which we operate. Um, I, to be honest, I, I have always felt supported uh, within our own firm, and um, but uh, you know we 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 have you know founded Asians at McKinsey, uh, and it's it's a thriving group now. Uh, we do are more involved in these types of topics partly because of the increased number of of, of people uh, and representation. Um, and the evolution of understanding um, some of the challenges. And as, as you cover on this bo- podcast and elsewhere, part of it is just trying to understand where there are real challenges. Because you walk into any American business, um, more likely than not, you'll see lots of Asians. Um, and you know, if you look at just some of the aggregate, aggregate statistics, it might seem like Asians are doing, uh, doing well. Uh, and that is in some ways true. But a single aggregate statistic never tells the entire story. And so, for instance, in the corporate context, the fact that there are a lot of Asians around doesn't necessarily reflect the the percentage of Asians that are in entry-level corporate positions versus percentage of Asians in the C-suite. And, and that decrease as you move through the corporate hierarchy and the lower promotion rates are some of the things that uh, we have discovered in the course of our research. Michael, I don't know if you found this as you've uh, kind of gotten to more senior levels, but two of the quite countercultural things that I experienced at least was modesty and being able to talk more about yourself to kind of get ahead and get promoted, at least in a McKinsey context. Uh, and also something that we call obligation to dissent. It's similar to what Jackie was describing earlier of speaking up and maybe speaking up more than other Asian Americans. And those two things I found I had to unlearn a bit to make it or at least progress as quickly as I wanted to uh, in a McKinsey context and, and perhaps in other professional environments also. I definitely had that too. Um, you know, we talk about evergreen development. Now, part of it, I think, is is related to my cultural upbringing and, and, and you know, the way I was taught. I think part of it is, is also me uh, as a human being. I also have some of those, um, you know, something that I, I work on every day. 
I love that you brought that up. A lot of the things that we were taught by our families, our culture, even ourselves and internalized are sort of the opposite of what gets rewarded sometimes in corporate America, right? And so, you know, talking about yourself was a no-no, right? Mm-hmm. Don't brag, just let your work shine through. And if you keep your head down and do a good job, they will recognize it for you. And uh, many of us probably have realized at different points in our career that that's not the rubric through which we are judged at times. And this then this whole unlearning process where it's uncomfortable and we have to learn how to speak up, you know, when we do professional development workshops, that's the number one topic. How do I advocate for myself? Mm-hmm. And it is really, really hard to even think about that, right? And I think, again, we're in this sandwich generation that our parents grew up in a different generation and a different continent, different culture, and they did so well. Look at where we are now. And it's just this little tweaking that, that we now have with this privilege that we have to be able to share with each other because there's so many peers who are sort of in this uh, similar mindset and then really to teach the next generation. Um, Quellen, when you ventured on this study, uh, and which I love because there's both qualitative data and then there's a lot of quotes from people through the interviews that were conducted. Is there an interview or a quote or an insight that stood out to you as, wow, I really didn't expect this going into the study? The quote that resonated the most with me was around, you know, I'm seen as somebody who's very smart, who does good work, but not really seen as a manager or a leader. And those two things don't go together. And so being perceived as intelligent and hardworking only helps me up to a certain point, but doesn't help me get into the C-suite and those most senior levels. And I think that's what I've seen in patterns across the talent pipeline, but it was really crystallized in that quote. And Jackie, you just shared something on LinkedIn this morning, um, and it's this quote uh, about or even inclusion amongst DEI or diversity spaces where Asians aren't minorities, Asians aren't diverse candidates. What are you guys talking about? Y'all are rich, y'all are smart, you know, you don't need help. And I, I resonated with that so much because I was told that to my face during business school as I was walking to a diversity recruiting event by my friend saying, why are you going to this thing? This ain't for you. And some of the challenges of just, I, I didn't have the conversation with my friend on the way to the event because I didn't have that. That was not the time or the energy. But when we, and this is not to say that, you know, all of us need help, but there are certain parts of the Asian community who get completely silenced and erased when the privileged narrative becomes the total narrative. So I would love your insights on sort of what you learned through the study, particularly to that. And then, you know, take us through some of the action steps that we can do as those of us within the community who care and many who are listening, who are likely non-Asian American allies who have, you know, uh, agency, who have, you know, influence in some of these DEI conversations. And it's prevalent in the workplace. It's prevalent at the, you know, higher education level of when you show up to an event that is meant for diversity. Um, and I will say, I also have noticed a, a unfortunate trend of companies switching out their term diversity recruiting to underrepresented minority recruiting, which then leaves us out of the conversation because to some, we are an overrepresented minority, which doesn't make any sense. But take us through that because we have faced so many challenges in this country and individually And when we feel like we're at a place where we need additional help, um, being told that we're not a diverse candidate or that we don't count in a diversity conversation might be one of the most 
challenging, uh, you know, gaslighting scenarios that we can face. Yeah. I mean, so much of that goes back to something that I think the Asian American community knows quite a bit of and, and other people of color also know a bit of, which is, you know, looking at this group as a monolith as just, you know, everybody, because on average, everybody's doing well, that everybody's doing well. And, uh, you know, so much of what we talk about in, in our report is about the need for more data, the need for more granular data, because, um, you know, if, if you're always reporting on Asian Americans as one big group, you're not going to understand the nuances of the, the, the different populations of the intersectionalities. You know, Quaylen was talking about how Asian women have a have a particularly different challenge, right? Like it, the, the women of color in general have 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 much bigger challenges, biases, you know, issues in the workplace. And it it's the same thing with Asian women, right? Like you look at the 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 representation in the pipeline and and yes, Asian men have lower representation when you go up, you know, the corporate ladder, Asian women, the, 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 the representation just drops dramatically. And, and that also doesn't even include like, we, we're not even looking at, you know, East Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian, or any more granular data than that, right? And, and I, I would bet that if, if and when we get this extra layer of depth, we're going to see even more um, of that, uh, of that difference at the differentiation. And so, so, so much of this comes back to, um, you know, the fact that, uh, for so, for, for such a long time, we've been thinking about Asian Americans as a monolith and, um, you know, that hidden challenges piece of, of our report is really speaking toward like, Hey, corporate leaders, Hey, you know, government entities, Hey, policymakers, let's start collecting greater granularity in data because otherwise you're not going to tell the right story and you know once we do that for this community there're going to be other communities who are going to realize that they need to also collect you know more 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 granular data because you know the 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 more we generalize the less we're telling the right story and Jerry, when you say, you know, Asian Americans are overrepresented, we are only overrepresented at the entry level because of higher educational attainment on average. We are not overrepresented at the middle of the talent pipeline, and we are deeply underrepresented at most senior levels, right? There's over 40% drop off from Asian American representation at the front and entry level of the talent funnel, where 70% of workers are to the most senior levels, right? Direct reports to the CEO, senior vice presidents. And so overrepresented maybe at junior levels, but definitely not at the more senior levels. Sure. And, and I think the, you know, the if we look at that too, right? Level-wise, but also functionality-wise, right? And so when we look at, you know, large tech companies, yes, there might be a lot of Asian folks, but like, let's look at what departments they're in, right? Um, I used to be a salesperson by training. And so I am completely okay and, and used to being the only Asian person, oftentimes the only non-white person in tech, you know, tech sales spaces. And so when we think about like, you know, if, if we look at, again, this has to do with how we interpret data or how we even aggregate data, right? And so if tech company X is 30% Asian American or Asian, cool. And if we break it down, what levels, what functions and the decision-making, you know, paradigm that exists at the intersection of those two things. I, I think it's fascinating. Um, 
another part of the data disaggregation that you have done really well in this study, and I hope that becomes a more important part of our Asian identity across the board in America, is self-identity between Asian American, immigrant, expat, graduate, you know, a visiting student with a visa. There's this nuance of how we perceive ourselves and that dictate how we want to be treated at work. And so my favorite uh, microaggression question of all time, where you're really from, is offensive to those of us who have the audacity, obviously that's in air quotes, to want to be treated equally as an American. But if we talk to our friends who are either studying here or visiting here or haven't been here long enough, the where are you really from doesn't offend them to the same extent because they have self-identified themselves as not from here. So it's only natural that they get asked where they're actually from. And that's a fascinating nuance in terms of where were you born? Where were you educated? Are you currently working here uh, with a visa or not? That has a power dynamic that hasn't really been studied in terms of people speaking up in the workplace. If your employer is the reason you get to stay in this country. Um, and, and this question is for anybody. What are some of the nuances there that was surprising to you or that you learned? Because this also is a direct, not causation perhaps, but even correlate, definitely correlation to the immigration policy of America that let certain folks from certain countries with academic degrees or potential to earn academic degrees in this country. Therefore, the model minority myth continues to perpetuate. And we think that, you know, majority of the Indian Americans, for example, in this country came by way of STEM degree visas or STEM job visas. And so the perception is that they're all smart and that they're all in tech, you know, as, as a stereotype. But that's not the case. And, and so would be really curious to hear how you guys see that and, and what are some of the things that have changed or have evolved in that space and the self-identity of this giant monolith that are Asians in America? but breaking it down to Asian Americans versus I'm just an Asian person that is studying or working in America for the time being. I mean, identity is hard, right? It's, 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 um, as you said, identity is something that self, uh, that someone describes about themselves. We do have some, you know, some real data about, um, you know, folks who were born in the United States, how their children are doing, um, people who arrived as immigrants uh, on work visas, et cetera. But again, there's huge diversity there as well. Um, again, if, if you look at, at, at folks who, you know, we talked about people who need help. You know, if you look at poverty rates, for instance, overall, the Asian American poverty rate is roughly the same as the white poverty rate. But the large majority of ethnic subgroups of Asians actually have higher poverty rates than the white uh, poverty rate. In fact, even one of the largest subgroups, uh, Chinese, uh, make up about a quarter of, and so that means millions of Asian Americans are actually living in poverty. About a quarter of Asian Americans are Chinese, and a third of the Asian Americans who are living in poverty are Chinese. And so again, if you think about a stereotype that uh, you know all Asians are doing well, and by the way, if you, you look at and the intersection with immigration, you know if you look at Hmong, Bangladeshi, Burmese, you know, some of those folks arrived, um, you know, because they were trying to get away from very challenging situations back in their previously home co countries. And so there are real challenges from an economic standpoint uh, for many folks in those, uh, in those communities. Um, and so with that said, the, the other really interesting thing as well is we see huge amounts of econ intergenerational economic mobility. And so a quarter of 
Asian Americans born to parents with less than a high school education or who, who you know, have incomes in the bottom quintile actually end up with a bachelor's degree or end up um, you know, in, the, in the top income quintile in the United States. And so part of that reflects you know, the human capital that immigrants have been bringing, even if you know, the classic, you know, someone's a professional in their home country, have to come here and work in a lower income uh, uh, occupation. And yet, you know, instill in their children the ability to move forward because of the human capital that they bring. And so it's a very diverse and complicated story that's changing over time. Um, but overall, you know, immigration has been a great benefit uh, to this country. I love the report. I think it goes into so many of the areas of our identity as a community that we don't often talk about, and particularly at work. And I think what this report does more than anything is that it provides empirical information that is objective and that has been studied so that if you are an Asian American person at a company that wants to advocate for the formation of an ERG, for better funding of your ERG, or to do a study like this yourself internally, or to invite a speaker or a group of speakers to talk about identity in the workplace, that reports like this really point to um, moving the Asian American conversation past just an anecdote and saying, hey, this is something that we actually need. And here are other organizations that are doing the work to make sure that we can have these conversations. And, and as a three current and one former consultant loves to hear when we look at a report, we have now come to the so what part of the conversation of of the study, which is, what do we do with this information? What is the optimistic and perhaps hopeful calls to action or commitments to ourselves that we can make or asks of the business and the academic community based on what we have learned here? And, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll wrap with this as sort of, you know, what have you gained and what is, uh, what are you hopeful for? And um, we'll, we'll go in, in reverse uh, alphabetical or go Michael, Quellen, and Jackie with this one. So we have a bunch of things that we outline. I think we, we approach this w with humility. I don't think we have all the answers here. And, you know, as a community and, and you know, in business, um, we're going to have to continue to work on some of these problems that we've outlined. And there are others that we've described in the report. But one of the things that we've talked about already is the, the diversity within this community. And as researchers, we actually ran into this challenge ourselves as we were looking for data. Not all the data that we have is disaggregated. You know, we don't necessarily have intersectional data with gender. We don't necessarily look at, you know, different subgroups. And as I said before, you can look at any one statistic, but really it's the distribution that matters. And so the, one of the first things that I think is really important is we actually start to collect this disaggregated data and to, to act on it, particularly in the critical moments in a person's career, whether it's around recruitment, whether it's around, you know, evaluation of the performance, uh, whether it's around promotion and advancement. Uh, whether it's around inclusion or whether or not people are, are, are receiving the types of support, mentorship, and sponsorship, um, just trying to understand that in a, in a, in a data-based way, um, I think is incredibly important. I think beyond the data, I think focusing on both inclusion and sponsorship will be critical, right? There's a significant sponsorship gap for Asian Americans. They may be less likely to ask for that sponsorship. They don't look like a lot of the people in senior roles, so they don't actually get a lot of that sponsorship. Uh, and so making sure that inclusion, that people, uh, Asian Americans feel truly comfortable bringing their full and authentic selves to work is critical. 
Um, and applying that especially not just to Asian Americans broadly, but to Asian American women in particular. Um, I think there's such a promotion gap at the senior manager level, but there's a six to one promotion gap uh, at that kind of C-suite direct reports to the CEO level. So six Asian American men promoted for every one Asian American woman. And that kind of gap, both by race and gender, is um, just unsustainable. So I hope that we apply this broadly, but especially for Asian American women. Right. And and on that note on sponsorship, right, one of the sort of optimistic things that we did find is that when you look at folks who are more early tenure, right, your your entry level, your even your your early manager um, Asian uh, folks in the corporate pipeline, they actually feel like they're getting supported. And and you know that the 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 point around having people who are sponsors and and you know by sponsors this is the buzzword that we talk about so much, right? Like f- folks who are actually providing opportunities or creating opportunities for you to advance, to succeed, to learn, to build skills and all of those kinds of things. Um, that's something that for me is is a heartening statistic is that you know the, the the younger tenure folks are are getting that and you know the more that senior leaders can be allies um you know especially when you you're in when you're in job levels that don't necessarily have a high amount of asian american representation right um the more that there's active um allyship in the sponsorship of of asian americans the 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 more likely that there's going to be more of a balancing out that the pipeline is going to be able to continue um, in the future, and and that you know the folks um, not only in the junior levels but in the mid tenure, uh, middle management, and and even more senior management levels then feel like they are actually supported, and and that there is a an element of 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 merit, meritocracy and fairness there that is currently missing. You know the thing that really gets me hopeful about this conversation is that while we have talked mainly today about uh, ethnicity-based differences in our community, gender-based, we're far more complicated and complex than that. And so we have just hit the tip of the iceberg of the different intersectionalities that exist within Asian America. There's mixed race, mixed within Asian, mixed ethnicity uh, identities, There's many people who are immigrants, many people who are refugees, people who are adopted, people who uh, identify as different genders, and people who are so different than more, you know, whose identities are many more things just than Asian or just than a woman. And so when we talk about these things, what we hope to do is to begin and open the door for a much more nuanced conversation on what it means to be any, all, or none of these things. And The fact that we are talking about these things is the first step in what we hope to be one of the most nuanced and thoughtful conversations. And and so my ask for everybody listening is to simply normalize this conversation. And we all have the power to do that in a lot of different ways. You can speak about this report or any of the reports that other groups have done. Uh, Pew has done an amazing research on census-based data and most recently uh, a qualitative data on us as well, um, have these conversations at work. And even in the virtual space, you know, um, I have uh, have been blessed to uh, been able to share what I want to share uh, for the lack of having a day, daytime emplo- employer 
to share what I want authentically on LinkedIn. Many people still have that same power, but they feel like they cannot. And they feel like they cannot because of unfortunate instances of our past of being told to not talk about race at work, to, you know, to be nudged. Are you sure you want to post about that? Or being gaslit in some way saying, hey, all you have to do is just work hard and you'll get rewarded. I don't know why you're bringing gender into this conversation. But there's never been a better time than now, in my opinion, and many other people's opinion to talk about us and our own identity advancement or even our own safety and existence in a place where our colleagues, many of whom we spend much more time than sometimes our own families, to help them understand and our clients that this is who we are and that we need everybody on board. Because the advancement and the elevation of Asian American voices and perspectives in the professional workplace should not, will not, and cannot be just our fight alone. We need everybody, particularly people who still hold power and still hold influence and in policies and politics, to understand that this is a challenge for all of us and that when we fix this and that when we get fair opportunities and get fairly compensated, that everybody wins. And so one way that we can do it for each of us who are listening to this is to share a little bit of this study. And don't just copy and paste the link, which is the, you know, the easiest thing to do. Tell the world what you think about it, what, you know, what shocked you, what delighted you, what gets you excited, um, or even what makes you a little bit sad in knowing that some of the things that we have felt and experienced personally are now being validated by this study. And so as we wrap, uh, we'll give each person here and we'll go back in the order that we started, um, Jackie Quellen and Michael, any final thoughts and anything that you want to leave our audience with? The, the the thought that I will I'll, I'll I'll leave folks with is the fact that it, I think the um, we've talked about this multiple times here, but I think it's continually needs to be be worth talking about. Which which is the fact that there are so many more nuances in this population than um, than folks recognize, and and for me, putting this report together has unlocked a lot of things that I have sort of packed away um as i grew up as as an asian american you know student and then and then employee right and then and then now doing what i'm doing here and and so the for especially for our asian american folks um think about your own careers think about your own um you know your your own life and and how that's been affected and 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 don't shy away from it i think that the, the nuances are really important I think I'm excited because this report brings data and facts and insights to the variety in that um, broad spectrum of experiences. But most importantly, it makes room for each of us to bring ourselves to work, to have our identities seen and to be speaking up in the ways that matter most to us. Let me build on uh, Quillen's comment about being seen. And Jerry, I want to thank you because something we talk about within this community is how we're often invisible and to the extent to which, you know, that we're less invisible. Um, I think that's a good thing uh, for everyone. Thank you. No, and thank you all for doing the work. You know, um, I existed within the space, within the corporate space for 15 years and often feeling so frustrated that we couldn't talk about this at work and continuing to get gaslit or all the things that many have experienced. And I decided to leave the system and to do this work from the outside. And none of this is possible without folks like you the partners that we get to work with who are still within these organizations that have tremendous impact and influence in the ways that we do work, particularly from a consulting lens, because you go out to the rest of the world and rest of the, you know, the, the corporate world and the uh, government world to influence some of these things. And so 
Really, really honored to work with you guys again. Uh, big shout out to Margaret N, who coordinated behind the scenes, to Elaine Dang for uh, you know coordinating and making the introductions. Um, please, I, I, if you have not yet, spend 10 minutes. It's a quick read. Read through the report. We'll put it in the show notes. And my ask is then spend another 10 minutes either sending this to somebody, posting about it on the internet, or beginning a conversation within your own organizations about how you can use this data to help amplify and elevate our voices. Like I said, we need everybody's hands on deck and reports like this really do help move the needle. And so to the agents at McKinsey team and the folks behind the report, Michael, Quellen, Jackie, thank you so much for your time and wishing you all the best. And we look forward to meeting you in real life soon. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you. Big thanks again to Michael, Quellen, and Jackie for joining us to share about their thoughts, their stories, and what they remain hopeful about when it comes to our existence and our advancement. Uh, in the corporate space and leading it with data, leading it with perspective and just relatable stories that I think are uh, really, really critical. If you'd like to connect with the folks who are on the show, their LinkedIn profiles as well as ways to contact them are available to you in the show notes. As we mentioned at the top of the show and throughout the interview, we encourage you to read the report uh, that is the Asian American Workers, Diverse Outcomes and Hidden Challenges. And uh, Share it with your colleagues, share it on LinkedIn, share it with your family members. Um, the, re- the way that we're really going to tackle some of these challenges that we talked about today are really to make sure that the data is in the hands of the people that can make decisions and to create safer spaces for our conversations. If you'd like to learn more about the show, you can go to DRAsAmericans.com to listen to all the older episodes, uh, 167 of them. And you can show up to Instagram or join us on Instagram at DRAsAmericans. Uh, to learn about the other episodes that we have, our uh, fun partnerships and the things that we do. Subscribe to our newsletter. That's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash D-A-A newsletter. And if you want to support us, one of the ways that you can do that is to go buy some Dears Americans merch, bit.ly slash D-A-A shop. Uh, you can find me, Jerry, your host at jerrywan.com or on LinkedIn, just search jerrywan or on Instagram at jerryj1. Hey, Patrick, where can people find you? Yeah, people can find me on Instagram at Patrick in the world. You can also find me on LinkedIn slash Patrick in the world, I believe. And if you want, you can go to my website, Patrick in the world.me. We've got some really exciting episodes coming up for you. Um, if you've made it to this far in the episode, I just came back from DC and had an event at Vice President Kamala Harris's home. And we may have gotten a yes from her to come on a future Dears Americans episode. So we're super stoked about that. Uh, we have some amazing guests coming on soon. Dr. Calvin Sun, uh, you may know him as Monsoon Diaries on the Instagram. And uh, so many amazing people, including John Yang from uh, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. And you heard it at the top of the show. And we want to thank again our friends at vaccines.gov and the TDW agency for their support of the Asian Americans. Thanks again for tuning in. Stay healthy, safe, and happy. We'll see you next time.